everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Pure Hustle Podcast. Yes. Thank you so much. We do have a request though, before we get started, if you have found our content to be entertaining or helpful, would you consider leaving us a review on iTunes? Those five-star reviews really help to make sure that our content gets out there and that our show continues to grow. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Pure Hustle Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Rolando, and we're on episode 366, an update episode. That's right. Our update episodes are the opportunity that we have to kind of share what's going on in our life with reselling, and then also just the reselling world in general, some interesting reselling stories, maybe what's going on with eBay or Amazon or the, the shipping, and then uh, give you some spicy bolos where we get to talk <laughs> about the things that are, uh, that are selling for great money, hot cake items. Uh, so make sure to stick around for the whole thing. There's great information throughout the entire episode. Yeah. So there, there's a lot going on as far as I would say not. I mean, we had all of eBay open and we're still going to have a part two about that eventually because there's some other things that have come out of eBay open. But I would say, you know, right now we're right at the cusp of Q4 or maybe we're not. Maybe we should be. Maybe things should be different already. And, and maybe we'll keep saying, you know, it'll be November. It's like, all right, we're almost there. Uh, but, you know. There's a lot going on, but I want to hear from you. What, what is going on with you? Uh, yeah, so I went out and did some uh, garage sales this last weekend. And man, it was it was interesting at first. And then it became one of the most wild stories that I've had as what, far as really? just like it was an interesting reselling day. And it may end up turning out to be like a really great deal in the long run. So we'll have to see. Uh, so I go to a couple of sales and like any area, there's the areas that are, um, a little poorer, the areas where there's more money, the affluence is there and, and then the areas in between. And, and we've talked about the pros and cons of all of those different demographics, as far as, um, where you're going to find decent stuff at garage sales. Sometimes the wealthy places are great. Sometimes it's the middle of the, the middle class areas that you get the best. It just really depends on a lot of factors. But mm -hmm. anyways, I kind of ran the gambit. Uh, I went to a few that were you know, a little bit lower income, a few that were middle class, and then not really tons that were, I would say, upper, upper class. But yeah, I saw a, a wide range of this area. And I wasn't doing super well, picked up a handful of items, some books here and there, a couple of little odds and ends. Um, but I was just, I wasn't striking rich. And my son had a soccer game coming up. So my goal was I was going to get out, do as many garage sales as I could, and then get to the soccer game, which started at, I think, nine o'clock. So it was like I didn't have a lot oh, of wow. time. It was like I basically had like six to nine. And most of like the ones were like setting up around seven. So I did OK. I'm going to a few places. Well, I, I, I go to this one that originally was going to be the first one I, I wanted to go to, but it was the one that was closest to my son's soccer game. So that ended up being the last one I went to. And it was a trip. So it was a guy who, and I don't want to give out too much information because, um, I, I, like I said, this may end up being a contact, uh, but it's a guy who uh, apparently uh, is kind of getting out of the game and he has done most of his sourcing through auctions. So, um, mm. you know, government auctions, things like that. And just the amount of stuff that he has was almost overwhelming. Like he kind of had like garage sale type things set up. But also it was like everything you looked at, it was like, yeah, I've got thousands of those. I got lots of. So I knew like this was going to be weird while I was there already. And one of the things that kind of struck my eye was that there was this one little box of 10 brand new phones. And I'm like, um, the, the types of phones we, we've sold before for businesses, you know, they're in their boxes. And I'm like, 
okay, this seems like it could be a good deal. I'm looking up the model number, I'm scanning it, and I'm seeing that these phones sell for anywhere from $25 to $40 a piece. There's 10 of them in this box. And um, there's a couple of them that sold for like a lot of 10 for, you know, a couple hundred bucks. So I'm like, all right, sweet. Like if I can get this at a decent price. So I ask him, uh, what about the phones? He's like, well, how many phones do you want? And I was like, well, I was thinking all of them. He goes, well, I've got like 300 of them. Wow. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I've got like two pallets worth. I, I picked up because most of them are at my other like unit. He goes, but, uh, you know, make me a deal if you want them all. So I'm kind of looking them up and I'm like, oh man, this seems like this might be a good deal, but I'm not sure. Also, I've got to leave in like five minutes so that I can get to my son's game. Right. So I'm like trying to research. I'm looking at other things he has. I'm on a time crunch. So it's like not ideal. I could have waited longer and maybe just done a little bit more research, but I'm like, okay, how much for everything? And he goes, well, how about 500? So I'm doing the math. I'm like, okay, he's got 300 boxes or he's got uh, 300 phones. So 30 boxes of 10 phones each. So I'm like $500. I potentially, even if I sold these for a hundred dollars a box, there's like 30 boxes. Like this is a gold mine. It's like three grand right there. Yeah. If I sell it kind of at rock bottom. So I was like, would you do 400? And we ended up settling on 450, but I only had like $90 in cash on me. So I'm like, how about this? How about I give you the $90 cash right now? I got to go watch my son's game. And then when it's done, like I'm going to come back and we'll like finish the deal. So he's like, okay, cool. Sounds good. So I go to the game. I'm thinking about it a little bit more. And I'm like, man, I really like they're, they're selling at decent prices, but like how many are selling? Cause I'm about to pick up 300 phones, right? Like what's the sell through rate on this? So it took me a little bit, even though I know this stuff, like I was so excited at the potential of like just such, such a great deal, like getting so many in bulk. So then I'm starting to look through the sell through rate. And then I went through the sell through rate on Terapeak while I was sitting there and it was like over the last two years, a total of like 125 units have sold. And those units have included some bulk, some individual and some like things that were just like cords, like like almost half of the, 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 the sell in that category were like phone cords and things like that. So I'm like, okay, so even if I said 40% of these are phone sales, I would have to be the lowest price mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and only like 60, 70 phones have sold in the last two years. Like if I'm picking up 300, this is, this is, and it's almost two pallets worth. I'm thinking, where am I going to store these things? These are slow yeah. sell. So I had, I had to like swallow my pride and called him back up. I'm like, look, I've already given you $90. I know the deal was, you know, we, we came to an agreement. Um, I just, I, and I didn't have the space to, cause I was like, you know what? I, I already made the deal. I'm going to go pick up the phones. Like even if it takes 10 years, five years for them all to sell, like I'll make my money back and I might end up throwing some of these out if they stop selling or something. So I go to my in-law storage unit cause that's where I was thinking of storing them and there just wasn't room for them. So I called the guy back and I say, Hey, look, I don't have room to store two pallets worth of phones. Um, they're really slow sellers. Just to be honest with you, it's going to take me a long time. Um, could we work something out where I, you know, just the 90 that I gave you, like how many phones do you think would be a, a, a good deal for that? So we ended up settling on, I, I clearly didn't get as many for as good of a deal, mm -hmm, but I still mm -hmm. got three boxes of phones. So 30 phones for 90 bucks. And these, like I said, they're brand new in box, like sealed boxes of phones that I think I should be able to sell for 25 to $30 a piece. So it's not going to take long before I've made my money back. It's going to just be like two or three phones and I'm, I've broken even. And then the nice thing with a, a deal like this is they are, it's one listing, right? Like I, I, I do one listing. I might do like two of them as bulk. I might try and sell a couple of the boxes like 
just as is for like 200 bucks. And then uh, I'll break one of the boxes up and sell individual phones. So I'm going to make my money back. I'm probably going to make several hundred dollars off of the deal. So not a bad, not a bad flip in the long run. Uh, but he had so many other things and I was just like almost overwhelmed. Even he, he's like, I only have like a, a little bit of what I have out right now. So I was like, how about this? Like, would you be up to like me giving you a call back on another day? Maybe I come back over. We look for more stuff. And he was totally up to it. So um, it wasn't he wasn't upset that I ended up not following through and buying all uh, uh, two pallets worth of phones. He was OK with that. So he's probably going to be able to sell for more. And, uh, you know, even if not, he said he's pretty much already made his money back on those. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty cool, pretty interesting. Like it was just like the roller coaster of like, holy cow. In fact, I saw a couple things that he had that I'm doing research on right now. I told him I wanted to research before I bought because I'm probably going to put several hundred dollars into it and I'm potentially looking at a, a couple thousand, which is why I'm not, uh, why I'm not sharing too much about this guy. Cause, uh, there is still potential there. No. Well, okay. So a few things here though. I, I think your story is a great example of the change in eBay pre 2020 and eBay now. Okay. So for example, eBay pre 2020 buying all those phones, getting a great deal, list it and forget it. No big deal, right? Algorithm isn't as strong. Uh, you know, there's not as much competition. You wouldn't have been able to research Terapeak at that time, right? You would have just had recent comps and you would have been like, oh, these sell. I might as well buy two pallets full, right? And let's say you bought these in 2019. You maybe would have sold a handful. Come 2023, you'd had these two pallets still, and then you would have checked therapy and gone like, oh, yeah, I'm not selling very many of these. Not only that, I now have to promote these. And even still, I may lose money on these. And so it's interesting because this is something that I think a lot of resellers, especially some that have been reselling for the last decade, that uh, things are really slow. And, and including for me is that there was the change in mentality and some people have adapted and there's been some people that have even completely delisted everything and donated a ton of stuff because, you know, eBay has said having a lot of stuff that doesn't sell does weigh your store down. And so they've moved on, they moved on and, and you, you made the right call. And this is something, you know, we've talked about before, like if a deal is sometimes maybe too good to be true. Sometimes it may be really good, but you have to still walk away because even though there were recent sales, that doesn't mean over the lifespan of the, you having the item, the sales are going to still be the same. So you did the wise thing and going to Terabeek and checking out, you know, at least two years uh, of, of evidence to see if it was worth picking up. So nice work, nice work, <laughs> not nice saving yourself from the headache of two pallets and going, why did I buy all these? What am I supposed to do with all this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> right because we I, I mean even since the start of the podcast we both have stuff that we bought in bulk that right now we're like why why did we even make such a big purchase right that stuff is still sitting around you know and i know yep. you got some rid of a lot of it when you moved so all right anything else no i mean i think uh i think that's kind of the the big story and and i think i'm hoping i'll have some uh some very interesting finds and uh I've already got a couple of deals, a couple of items. I'm like I said, I'm I'm potentially going to be picking up from this guy uh, for a future deal. So we will see. Um, so the uh, the story is to be continued. Now, was were garage sales over there different than here? The haggling, the kind of inventory, or is it pretty much the same thing, just different location? 
Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much the same. I mean, inventory is going to be a little bit different, um, but kind of in, in, in predictable ways. Um, some styles are different. Some okay. decoration styles and preferences are different. Um, you know, the brands, which brands are a little bit more popular. What you see as far as like football teams and things like that are different. But overall, it's it's it seems to be the same. You know, people some people want to haggle. Some people don't. I mean, I went to one. The one thing I would say it's definitely different here is almost everyone that I went to already had sales on Friday. Like Friday mm. sales are way more popular here. I'm not sure why. Um, whereas in San Diego, there are Friday sales, but I would say they are not the majority of garage sales. Correct. The majority of garage sales start on Saturday. There are a handful that do Friday and then roll into Saturday, Sunday. Here it seems like, I don't I, I don't know if I could say most, but at least the, from my experience, the ones I'm seeing and researching, a good portion of them are starting on Friday. Yeah, no, and some do here, but you're right. It is mainly Saturday. And, and that's one of the things, difference between a part-time and a full-time reseller. Uh, I see, you know, if you're full-time, you have more opportunities to source. I personally just don't like going on Fridays because I like to stay focused Monday through Friday on sourcing local deals and inventory at home and so on. So, all right. Hey, uh, yeah, so on my end, it, it there's a lot of interesting things here at play. Uh, the first of all is it is October. And it doesn't feel like October. And I'm trying to keep positive. Uh, we just had a mini so that we just dropped about don't complicate reselling. And part of that was you can only focus on what you can focus on. And so I can go on and on about how sales have dipped and sales are bad. And they are. I would say right now I went through a huge just, you know, things went really well in August. Things went kind of okay in September. And this October, uh, things have have died out. And it brought about an interesting discussion. I had a reseller uh, reach out to me via Instagram. I'm only going to call him Mike because I don't know if he wants me to share his DMs. Uh, but if that was, this is you, Mike, you're listening to podcasts and you want me to repost you on, on social, just tag us and I'll repost it on our stories. Uh, but he said, hey, can I, I'm not trying to be rude, but you've been talking about slow sales on your podcast. Can I look at your store? I'm like, that's fine. That's fine. And we don't share our store publicly. But, you know, if you see the posts that we make, you can pretty much figure out which ones are our public source. And so he gave me some feedback. And it was, and this, I think, will help a lot of people. This is why I'm sharing this. Uh, I'm just stubborn. And I didn't take the advice. And I'll tell you why in a moment. Not just because that's my personality trait. So let me read this here. Uh, he said, okay, looking at your store and completed listings, it's my opinion that your inventory is heavy on low dollar long tail collectibles, which I don't find it to be completely true. Uh, I do have over 3000 items, so it's kind of hard to find all those. But yeah, I do have a lot of low dollar collectibles and that's been for my big haul. So he's not necessarily wrong there. Sure, all those high ROI garage sale pickups look juicy, but I'd rather be turning over my inventory faster and reinvesting the profits. As difficult as it is, I'd be after consistent bulk purchases that list once and full order similar to an FBM store, but for eBay. So FBM is uh, fulfilled by merchants. So basically meaning that you have a replenishable, something that you can always source all the time and keep selling. He said, that's allowed me to scale faster and greatly increase my sales over the last five years. One-off garage sale finds are great, but it's extremely difficult to scale without hitting a ceiling. And that's why I do bulk purchases through auctions, wholesale, and business liquidations. My store has around uh, 350 listings, but over 10K items. So that's a lot of replenishables, right? That's a lot of stuff. If I'm investing my time and effort, I want to be netting at least 10K per month. And this business model has allowed me consistently do just that. Anyway, just my unsolicited advice. Hope this helps. And I just responded, 
So my response, I think some of you would agree with this. Maybe not. I said, uh, I appreciate that. You're not wrong. I'm at a crossroads where reselling gets to a place where I need to source wholesale and business liquidations. I may go part time. So what, what I'm saying is for me, reselling is it's a business for me. Obviously, you have to report my taxes and, you know, I have to, you know, maintain a budget and all that stuff. But for me, if I ever get to a place where the find, the hunt, all that has to go away and has to be overtaken by me going out there and, and doing business liquidation or doing like like the phones that you're going to pick up. Boring. I, get, I, I want nothing to do with it. Like, that's not what I want to do. Like, I did not get into reselling to do those things. And so, yeah, but see, I don't know if I, I, I guess I'm, I'm a little bit confused as why you would say like, if you were to go that route, you'd be done. Cause I understand that not, like, not done, but I go part time. Okay. Fair enough. But even still, we've talked about all the benefits of reselling besides just the excitement of it. Like all, all the benefits of you get to work from home, you get to set your own schedule, you get to prioritize your time, you get to be able to have time with your family, you get to all of those things you get to um, work harder to make more. So all of those things are still true. If you are doing business liquidations, like, yeah, maybe it's not as like glamorous. Like I, mean, I tell you what, like I, I would jump on the fact that if someone said like, even like your, your Volkswagen thing, like if someone's like, yeah. Hey, look, I got a deal for you. Like I could set this up. And if you're able to set up a couple of, a couple of consignment deals and you're able to make full-time money doing that. And you're like, you know what? I'm actually maybe working less and making more than I was when I was hunting for Hot Wheels, uh, but it's not quite as fun. So I'm going to go get a nine to five. Like, well, I don't no, know no. if I understand well, that. But see, I would not get your typical nine to five. Like I have, I went to school, I have degrees, I have experience in education. You know what I mean? It would, that is the, that is my other passion. That is my calling, right? That's not something, it's not like I'm going to get a job. It would be something that is fulfilling, right? Even right now, I've mentioned before, I, I do teach uh, homeschooling co-op. I do it once a week. And it is probably outside of garage sales. It is the highlight of my week as far as, you know, something that I enjoy doing and I'm getting paid to do it. And so so for me, that is that is the important part is that I, I don't want to get into the grind. I've said this before, like even with Amazon, like I I'm not a fan of Amazon if it gets to the place where I'm a warehouse worker and all I'm doing is finding inventory to just pack it in a box and ship it to FBA. Like if I wanted to do but that. Think about, think about how much fun you had when you were doing the Amazon hunts and you were driving around to all the different targets mm-hmm. and you were staying at hotels. Yeah. Like you could, that could be your, that could be office liquidations. Like I'm not sure yeah. I see much of a difference. Yeah, like but, it's still a hunt. Like, what do they have for sale? What do they, I mean, remember when we went to that um, that school that was closing down, and we we're kind of looking through. Oh yeah, I remember that. And you're yeah. making deals on VCRs. And you're, I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, this is the guy that I went to just recently. That was his deal. Like, the reason he's got so much stuff is because he's buying it on auction from schools that are closing down, from offices that are closing down, from offices that are remodeling, whatever the situation is. Or like a storage unit, there's still a hunt there. It's not that it's not a hunt. Yeah, I've I've changed over the years though. So it used to be when I first started reselling and especially full time, I didn't I didn't care about what I picked up as long as it was profitable, right? To me, making the money was fun, right? And and, and if it was something cool, that was like the bonus. Where things have kind of changed over the years, because uh, right now eBay is a grind. 
Like eBay, eBay, I would argue half the time it's not as fun as it used to be because you put in all this work, you go sourcing, you find all these awesome items, and then you spend all this time listing, and then you have terrible days and you have good days. You have terrible days and you have good days. But it sounds like the grind you're talking about is the thing he's saying you could avoid if you were doing those liquidation stuff. Like you would be able to avoid a lot of that grind. Yeah, agreed, but see, I'm sourcing not... And- no, I, I hear what you're saying. No, it, it is true. But but to me is is when I source items I enjoy, like I want to list them. Like if I go pick up, I don't know, let's say, I don't know, 100, you know, toilet seats. OK, they're going to sell. Um, they're going to be profitable. But I don't care. Like that's I, I don't want to do that. You know, it's just like teaching. Like when I was a teacher. Uh, when I first became a teacher, I didn't care what I had to teach to give me whatever job I have to take. I'll do it. Right. Because I want to just get in there. Now I'm super selective. Like I'm not going to uh, teach a subject I don't care about that. I don't have an expertise in. I'm not going to work at a school that doesn't you know, align with my values and, and what I, you know, what I support. And so I I'm being pickier now. I, I just, to me, it's, it, it's, it's a little different. And so but it doesn't sound like you're actually enjoying it. Like it sounds like you're saying like you're enjoying the items you're finding and you I, maybe I am enjoy for now. listing them, but if they're not selling as fast, like I just don't like to me, like if you could pick up a hundred toilet seats and it's one or two listings and you can 10 X your money over a period of time. Like I'd much rather sell that than I've, I've found seven hot wheels that I've had to like hunt for and, they're going to sit for two years, but I'm going to make, you know, almost as much money as those toilet seats. Like, I don't know. Like to me, it's like if it could be easier and it happens fast, like because the things that you're complaining about is trying to source it, things sitting and not selling. I don't know. I just, I think the money when it comes to reselling, like, yeah, it's like you want to list stuff that you enjoy. And of course it's fun if you're in a niche you enjoy being in. But you know, if somebody offered me like, Hey, like you can, here's a makeup person they can get connected to and they've got tons and tons of like you know makeup that's you know what for whatever reason been pulled from shelves but you can sell for good money if i can make that connection i've never worn makeup and never planned to wear makeup but i would gladly be the makeup guy selling makeup online if it meant that i was making pulling six figures or something like i'm not going to complain about oh but it's not my hobby yeah, I'm more. That's of, where I would say. I, yeah, I would say. I, I would say. If you're wanting to do it your way, that sounds part time. To me, it sounds more yeah, part time to say. No, no <laughs> what, what I'm, I'm saying, saying. No, that's not what you're saying though. Because like, what you're saying is, oh, okay. So you're saying you would rather be part time selling the way you're selling than be able to be a full time reseller that can, like, because you're moving products that actually move. Uh, not necessarily. They move. In the sense that, but it's, you know, I make enough to pay the bills, right? And to take care of my kids and a little more, okay? That's always been my model. Like, I've never, like, and and I don't don't have a solution. If I had the solution to make a million dollars a year, you know, obviously, I would be discussing that solution. Unless, you know, it would kill my market, okay? But that's not what I got, got into reselling for, right? What I got into reselling for was it was the time freedom was nice, right? So do I still have... The time freedom I do, is it less than it used to be? For sure, it's less than it used to be. Like back in, you know, 2020 and before, I used to maybe put in 20 hours of work into eBay and I'd have the same outcome that I have now. But it's not like that anymore. Right now, you got to put in 40, you got to put in 60. 
And I would say those kind of scores, you know, like it does take time in themselves. And so instead of having fun and going out there and sourcing stuff that you care about, stuff that, you know, your list now it, it's again, you're, you're into very business. I'd rather teach five classes a day for the same amount of money then go and, you know, do business liquidation like that. That's just not that's just not my thing. And so I'm not there yet. Uh, I, I am I am at a place right now where uh, the the economy is definitely obviously playing a role in all this. I know everybody wants to blame eBay and all this, but let's be real. The economy is bad. We have the biggest amount of debt as far as consumers. Consumer spending is down. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm going part time anytime soon. I plan on being full time through 2023 into 2024. Uh, but the the reality is, is that I don't want to be a warehouse worker. I, I don't, you know, that's warehouse work. Going and getting pallets and getting, you know, a, a forklift and, and, and moving around the pallet and, you know, finding a box and packaging a box to an item that isn't going to like, you know, be anything I care about. Nah, that, that's, that's just not me. And, and, you know, interested in people's comments. Some people might say, okay, I'm out. Like, and, and for me, the podcast has always been about documenting. And this is this, to me, this is part of the journey, right? Part of the journey is realizing like why I got into reselling. The, the money is great. The money is awesome. The time freedom is awesome, but I'm in love more with the process than in the, and the end result where, where before, the process got me to a great end result. And now it's not, it's not what it used to be. Just not what it used to be. So just, just being real about it. So I don't, but I do appreciate this, in, you know, individual, you know, being willing to go out there and say, Hey, let me give you some honest feedback. Cause I think it was good feedback. It made me contemplate, you know, where I'm at as a, as a reseller. Uh, and you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so let's say you're in a scenario and I'll, I'll be quiet about this. So let's say my son has an event, right? And it came out of nowhere. And, you know, I had to sacrifice my time to list toilet seats. Like I'm out. I'm out. I'd rather, I'd rather you know, do something else where it's just, it's, it's a lot more enjoyable. Like I, I don't, I, I'm not here to, you know, uh, work on a, an assembly line and just process items I, I don't care about. So. That, that's where I'm at. Now, outside of that, uh, garage sales are back here in San Diego. It's been good. Uh, you know, I went to, uh, I had to go to San Clemente. My son had to do some SAT testing. I dropped him off. And here's what's awesome. I don't know why they don't do this in San Diego, but every community sale did that, that Google map thing where everything was on Google map. So all you have to do is just click on the next one you wanted to go to and you got directions right away. So it's pretty awesome. But I am noticing right now that a lot of the garages I'm going to, people are asking for more money, which I thought would be more of the opposite. You know, people are just trying to get that buck, but I'm noticing now more people are looking for eBay prices. Uh, more people are saying, oh, I could just put that on Marketplace or I could just put that on OfferUp. Uh, where two, two, three years ago, I wouldn't hear that as much, but I would say about half of the garages I go to now, I, I end up having that conversation and telling people, hey, I, I get it. I get it. But this is a garage sale. You know, I, I'm, I'm here for garage sale prices. And then sometimes people are like, all right, all right, whatever. I, I don't really want to put it on, on on a marketplace. I'll give it to you. So anyways, but yeah, th things, you know, sales have been up and down. You know, I've had some good times here and there. Uh, I haven't had a major haul, but it's been those, you know, you go to 40 garage sales and you end up scoring at maybe... 10 of them 
right? And you get some good things here and there. So I think it's so follow us on, on social media, on Instagram. If you want to know what I'm talking about, Pierzo Podcast, I every Saturday if I go to garage shows, I end up posting in the story. So hey, one more thing that is really tedious about reselling that most of you can't stand is bookkeeping. And uh, bookkeeping is enough to keep some people out of reselling. And we're approaching 2024 here. And the $600 threshold is going to be a reality. And so if, if you're worried about, you know, how am I going to do my taxes? How am I going to make sure that I end up getting, you know, the most in deductions and so on? Go to my reseller genie. They are able to import all your eBay fees, all your shipping fees. Uh, you can actually do a PNL, a profit and loss about how much money you made based on how much you spent on items. Uh, it's very simple. So check the link below. Uh, use our code Pure Hustle. You'll get 15% off the first month. Again, use the link below. Use our code Pure Hustle. You'll get 15% off the first month. And it's going to alleviate one of the worst parts of reselling, which is bookkeeping. All right. You got any random stories, Mike? Uh, let's see here. Random. Um, a little bit. So we went to, um, my, my wife wanted to redo some decorations on a shelf that we were building in our house. And so, uh, she asked me first, she's like, Hey, I want to go to Magnolia, which is if you're, if you're around the, uh, the, Waco area, or, you know, anything about Chip and Joanna Gaines, it's like the, the thing, the silos, they have a huge shop. Her stuff's expensive. Uh, the lady who runs that, uh, Joanna Gaines and, you know, it's one of those things where her stuff looks good. She's a great designer, but I know I've been in so many thrift stores. She told me what she wanted to get. And I'm like, look, you can spend $60 on those bookends and $40 on those, on those candlesticks and, and 20, or we can go to some thrift stores and we can find the stuff. Like I'm telling you, we can find the stuff. And so we went to a couple thrift stores and then we ended up going also, we found a couple things at some thrift stores. Uh, a couple of pictures, a couple of little end piece things she was looking for. But we ended up going to an antique store and I'm sure you've been to them. I'm sure everybody on our podcast, can, well, I, I can't say I'm sure. Many of the people on our podcast have seen these where they're like consignment booth antique stores mm. where it's like a big warehouse style place where within the warehouse, there's like 10 by 10 booths essentially set up where people fill the booth with antique items, typically each booth either has a theme uh, because it's it's individual sellers. So it's whatever, again, like you were talking about, whatever their kind of interests are. And you can tell some of them are very eclectic and there's just a little bit of everything. Uh, but a lot of them, it's like, oh, here's the one that has lots of random yarns and like dolls. And here's the one that's got war memorabilia. And here's the one. And one of my um, uncles, I'm not super close with, with them just because I've lived so far away from them. I've only talked to them a handful of times. Uh, but I know that that's what him and his wife do is they own or don't own. They uh, they rent one of those booth spaces at an antique place. And it was kind of interesting as I'm walking through these, I can tell some of these items are priced below eBay prices. And mm. some of these items are priced way above eBay prices, like things that I know a little bit about. Like I know a little bit about um, double edge razors for shaving, like safety razors. I kind of got into that for a while. Um, even though I don't have a lot of face to shave, uh, I, I wanted to kind of have more of a classic, you know, not, not a cheapy plastic razor. So I had like the nice metal and there's people 
who collect them. Like you can use old ones from, you know, the 20s, from the early 1900s. I'm not sure when the earliest ones are. I know for sure the 20s, 30s, 40s. You can get some pretty interesting like Gillette's and various brands from Germany. And it's really cool because they they hold some value. They're solid metal. They'll last a lifetime. And so I learned a little bit about what some of these were valued at. And yeah, occasionally you see things like that. And I'm just using that as one example where here's a, this really old razor in this like booth on this thing. And it's kind of cool looking and they're wanting like $55 or $43 for it. And I'm like, I know for a fact that's like an $8 razor on, on eBay. Like it's not that rare. I mean, sure. It looks kind of cool. It kind of matches the decor inside of this thing. But then I'm thinking like my wife is trying to buy bookends and she's going to spend, you know, whatever she feels is comfortable for what she wants for her decoration. She's not concerned with, could I maybe go on eBay and find these exact bookends for half price? It's like, Ooh, these are the ones cause they're unique. They're different. You're kind of going looking for something. You're not sure exactly what. So I wonder how well people are able to do who have those kind of booths at selling things at above eBay asking prices. And some things were, like I said, were below cause you can tell, you know, they're, they're probably not completely checking everything, but to think like, Hey, I could sell this item for $10 on eBay. But if somebody's in an antique store and somebody's looking for that right piece that they want in their house, or that thing that they want to add to their collection, and they're not like a serious collector, you know, where they know, like, I'll just buy that on eBay. It's amazing how much people will pay up just for the the fact that they're in this kind of store. So um, I, I'm, I'm interested. I feel like every time I go to those stores, there's never empty booths. I feel like there's probably like a wait list to get one of those uh one of those booths and I don't know how much they charge for them what the uh what the consignment rate is or what the the base fee is but I feel like that would be a good outlet for a lot of the things like think about the the number of items you currently have that you would be able to source and say hey I don't really want to list this on eBay it's like a 15 20 dollar item that it's just going to you collect those things all the time, you know, that you don't want to take the time cleaning and taking pictures and putting in the right spot. If you had a little booth that you can go and kind of decorate and like have all these kind of really cool classic, whatever, Harley and Lego stuff or Harley and, and uh, Hot Wheels stuff of just like the extras, the things that aren't like, oh, I could sell this one for way top dollar. That would be kind of like, a, I feel like a good outlet to, to offload some of those things. Um, but maybe not. I don't know. I, 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 I'm a, I feel like some of those booths have got to just be like a money sink because I'm like, who's buying this stuff? So I don't know whether it's if people use those more as a hobby is just like a fun thing to do um, or if they're very profitable. So I'm interested to hear in the comments below if anybody is uh, is like a hardcore antiquer with those um, like consignment style, if they've ever had their own booths, because um, it seems like something that would be an interesting an interesting place to offload certain things or to even kind of store some of your more unique, but not necessarily like collectible, profitable items. Yeah, no. And there are some people that do well. I know, for example, uh, Bonafide Hustler, he's been on YouTube for a while and, and he has a consignment over in Austin. So he's in Texas and for him, it's worth it. Uh, he, you know, he ends up picking up stuff that people would want in, in his part of Texas. And so, Sometimes he ends up selling it on eBay and he'll go over and get it from the consignment booth and ship it out. Uh, but I, and, and actually as a result of him, I looked into consignment as far as there's an antique mall out here in this area called uh, La Mesa. Uh, and it was the, the amount to just have my stuff there was crazy. I think when I first looked at it, it was, I think it was four to 500 a month. And this was a few years ago uh, and just have it. And 
at that time it just wasn't reasonable you know where like at ebay what are we paying like if to have a store we're paying 40 50 bucks a month right and everything happens after the after the item sell but i think i'm sure there's going to be a lot of people in the comments that go yeah i have a consignment place i have an antique mall i i get what you're saying because there's a lot of items that on ebay <clears throat> probably won't sell because they're you know but you know maybe somebody's shopping and they see something they're like oh that's kind of cool and they'll just pick it up right there so i don't know that, that is an interesting one that is an interesting one uh, and so I, I could see, you know what, consignment, I think, I think in Texas would work out if the price is low enough for you to have, you know, a spot, I think it's worth it. So, all right. So mine is, uh, I, it's just kind of a teaching lesson. I ended up selling a jacket, the jacket was a vintage starter jacket and it, I had to listen for like a hundred, somebody offered me 75 and I took it and they said, Hey, can you get this to me in Canada in two days? You know, I'm willing to pay more. So, you know, I, I always love those opportunities uh, because, you know, you get such a great discount uh, when it comes to shipping and it's, and this discount is kind of wild. So I agreed to send it over. I didn't go, you realize eBay takes more, costs more to ship stuff overnight than pirate ship does. Uh, and I don't know why that is. And so I went, you know, I checked on eBay and you got to make sure when you, when you, when you do the shipping label on pirate ship. Uh, if you have it set to whatever it's set, uh, you have to make sure that whenever you go over to pirate ship, that you create a label on your own because pirate ship won't let you wiggle out of whatever you already set up on eBay. Like you have to create an individual label. And so I agree to, and it was interesting because a uh, UPS, a uh, worldwide saver, I think it was, the retail was like 140 bucks or 150 bucks. It was crazy to overnight to Canada from San Diego and not overnight, but you know, two days and the discount on pirate ship, it would, it was going to cost like 45, 50 bucks. And I, I charge them 75 cause I'm like, I had to drop everything that I'm doing because when you do overnight, you have to actually like be there, you know, as soon as a place opens the next day. So it gets on the plane and gets to where it needs to. So I, I do do like a handling fee. I charge, I guess in there. And I charge them 75, which is a steal. Like they're, they're saving like all kinds of money on the shipping. And so I, I felt, I, so I shipped it overnight and it gets there. Right. Which to me, modern technology is amazing to me. The fact that I can ship something out on a Tuesday evening and it gets there by Thursday evening in Canada. And this was up in the Northern parts of Canada. And no, actually it got there on on, yeah, I got there on Friday, Friday, it was Friday. So Wednesday to Friday, Wednesday to Friday, got there on Friday. They weren't there. I didn't ask for signature confirmation. I just shipped it out because it's only 75 bucks. And I found out that on the weekends, they don't, UPS won't deliver because it's the weekend, I guess for the, for the, you know, overnights and they require signature to a commercial address. So just a lesson, everyone out there, if you're shipping something overnight, Make sure to communicate the, with the individual if it's a commercial address that somebody has to be there to sign when it gets there. Because if they're not, they're not going to drop off the package until either the next business day or unless somehow you're able to get to whatever UPS location it was located. But luckily it made, you know, the person was like, it's not, not your fault. You know, I and I kind of felt like a little bit was my fault, but I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know that there is a thing on UPS that if you ship something. 
you can actually change where it's going or you can change, you know, the options of signature and so on uh, if it's residential. So be aware that you can go through the UPS site and do that. But unfortunately, this was a commercial address. I couldn't do anything about it. But I always say this, always take a look at a pirate ship, always be able to do the overnight uh, shipping because that's going to separate you from the crowd. A lot of people freak out about it. It wasn't that difficult. <laughs> I just put it in an envelope and a padded envelope and you just go to pirate ship and you know you do all the, the custom forms on there. You just, how much is the way? Make sure you never put specific information. Okay, don't put 49ers starter parka. Just put jacket. Okay, don't even put parka. Just put jacket because you want to make sure that people, as they go through customs, you know, there are shady people out there that will take people out of the packages and it'll never make it to Aspire. So anyway, just wanted to share with that. And this other thing I want to share, I don't know why, let me know in the comments, but I can't think of the last time I saw a 90 day total on social media in months. And I think that's a testament of how things are going right now. So just wanted to throw that out there. So, all right. Uh, hey, thank you to everyone who is uh, supporting us on Patreon. Really grateful. Uh, you know, our sponsorship of this program goes up and down. Whenever you hear ads that aren't organic to the podcast, those are actually sponsorships that we're getting through. Uh, but sometimes the the revenue isn't there. Uh, and and sometimes we had a situation where things glitched for about two months and we're still recovering from it and we were getting zero revenue. But those of you that support us on Patreon, it helps us keep on going, helps us get the, you know, the equipment that we need, pay for the server space, all that stuff to allow us to continue providing free content. So if you haven't signed up yet and you want to help us out, go to patreon.com slash podcast. There's a link below. And for five, 55 a month uh, on the on the lowest tier you can definitely help us out and that gives you access to our discord uh, which is a community of thriving resellers from retail arbitrage to uh, individuals that sell vintage antique goods consignment uh, this last week we had people drop some deals uh, one of them was on a bunch of boxes that you could get for super cheap uh, from one of the suppliers. So you never know. Uh, we're not a bolo group. We're not a cook group. Uh, but there are some people that do cook in, in, in the Discord. So and if you and so you can help us out there. And if you haven't yet, uh, follow us on social media, Pierce the Podcast on all platforms except for X. There we are, Pierce Cast. You can always give us a call, 619-738-1170. That's 619-738-1170. Or shoot us an email at PiercePodcast at gmail.com. Com. And as always, thank you, thankful to all of you that listen to the podcast, but also watch us on YouTube. If you haven't yet, uh, subscribe to us. Make sure to subscribe to us. I would love to be at 10K by the end of the year. Uh, I feel like that isn't too hard of an ask, but if you haven't yet, if everybody that listens to the podcast were to jump over right now, 10K would be no problem. So just, just come on, just subscribe. You never have to watch another video again. Uh, what it does is it does help us in the YouTube algorithm. So jump on over. And thank you to all of you that do iTunes reviews on Apple. Uh, if you haven't left one, a positive one, make sure to do so. Go on over and let us know why you enjoy the podcast. Yeah. All right, you ready to talk about some... Okay. No, these, these are important things. I think they're cool stories, though, this time around. Yeah, let me get that. Uh, Life-changing stories. Life-changing. Man, I can't. Um, I'm missing the... Oh, there it is. I found it. thought I was missing the news effect. We can't have Here it without go. it. That's right. We have some life-changing stories in the reselling world. There's a painting found at Savers, Clay Fighters receipt sold, and fencing reselling at Q4. 
All this and more on Reseller News. All right. So, right, what do you got for us? Did you hear about? I maybe haven't heard this, but so somebody uh, went to Savers, okay, and they came, let me let me just share the story because this story, I, I think this is the anatomy of what to do or how to get people to get you in the right place. Uh, the reason I say this is <clears throat> somebody on the Discord right now has found some pretty unique items, uh, the, and. Somebody uh, on YouTube is offering this individual a certain amount of money, and I, I, I told the person, I'm like, I, I think that person isn't paying you what you deserve to get paid on those items. Uh, but the hard thing about it is, she's kind of stuck, right? Like, I, I can do an eBay auction, but if the right people don't see the item, it the prices aren't going to go up, right? Or you can put best offer, and if people just don't see it, they don't see it. And so, this scenario, everything played out just right. So. Uh, back in uh, North Carolina, a woman went to a Savers uh, and ended up buying a shirt. Uh, not a shirt, sorry. And, and they did buy a shirt, but uh, what they ended up buying was a painting. And they bought a painting for $4, okay? But th that's not where the story ends, okay? So let me read the sequence of events. It says, the painting's owner recalled the sequence of events in a telephone interview with the New York Times and was granted anonymity because she's becoming much richer from the sale of a painting. Wow, okay. Um, after purchasing the piece, the buyer hung it in her bedroom. So hung this painting on her bedroom uh, before eventually casting it aside into a closet with school pictures and other items. That's pretty wild. When she rediscovered the work in May and noticed a signed label on the back, she decided to post some images of it on Facebook. Uh, Lauren Lewis, an art conservator, was among those who reached out after seeing the painting on social media. Eventually, the owner said she and her husband wrapped the painting in a blanket, loaded it onto the back of their SUV, and drove about 90 minutes to meet Lewis in the parking lot of a bus terminal. Wielding a magnifying glass, Lewis became excited and spoke about aspects of the work the owner had never considered such as its brush strokes. So the couple scrapped their plans to stop for lunch and said driving straight home to rehang the painting. This time, the owner's husband placed pillows on the floor beneath it. Just, you know, you may have some money. How is this possible, Lewis said. She had been asking herself since she first saw the Wyeth on Facebook. It's all very fortuitous. This has all come together in a lovely way. The front piece illustration that is now being auctioned was part of four image set that Wyeth contributed for a 1939, I guess in the artist was Wyeth, edition of Helen Hunt Jackson's novel Romona, which revolves around the story, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, it ended up going to auction and at auction, uh, and then being that this conservator connected her with an auction house that did artworks, this item sold for $191,000. So it went from, hey, I went to the thrift store. I picked up this painting. Jeez. I hung it up in my house. I'm like, ah, I don't like it so much. Threw it in the closet. One day saw a label, thought I put it on Facebook. Somebody noticed it. That person that noticed it was an art person contacted her, <laughs> ended up at an auction house. And there you have 191K later. So... What did I take away from this? I, I keep saying this all the time. Sometimes you're going to be able to get top dollar for what you have. But if you don't have the right audience, you're not going to. You're just not going to. And uh, I think that's a lesson to everyone because a lot of people think eBay is the place to go. I used to think that. And I don't think eBay is the place to go for everything. Uh, I definitely would say whatnot may not be the place to go for a lot of things. Uh, but, you know, it never hurts to do research if you really think you have something because you may lose out on a lot of money.
right? And even the most basic, like just worth point it may end up helping you out, right? Google image search and then worth point and then see where you're at. Um, no, I mean, uh, one of these days, that's the joke I always give people when, uh, when I do record my, my garage sales and stuff. If anybody asks why I've got the camera on, what's up with the camera? I always say something like, you've heard those stories of people finding like crazy expensive artwork or something at a garage sale or a thrift store. I said, one of these days it's going to be me and I'm going to have it on film and they laugh and joke. And so it ends up working out, but man, one of these days it's going to happen. I'm going to find that, I'm going to find that six figure piece that I'm going to be able to just rake in the dough on but see then again this goes back to what i was saying earlier if i'm going out doing business like liquidation i'm never going to find that six figure piece you know what i'm saying that's all i mean i'm saying it but i'm also saying it kind of tongue-in-cheek like it's it's like winning the lottery right like i heard somebody say one time like you know i'm no have you moved out of your place yet no i haven't started yet i'm waiting on uh to see if i (laughs) see after the lotto draw and i'm just like wait a minute like like you can't you can't go like that. You know what I mean? So it, it would be great if it happens, but also, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna turn down the uh the the good deal because I might win the lotto. <laughs> All right. No, I, I get that. I get that. All right. So this other story I wanted to share because I thought it was one of those things where number one, you can sell pretty much anything on eBay. And and number two is sometimes we end up realizing that there's value in things after the fact, or we should take a look and go, hey, you know, nostalgia is pretty important. So one of the most sought after games, one of the rare games on, on Super Nintendo is uh, Clay Fighters and Sculpted. And it's uh, it was a Blockbuster exclusive. So you can only get it via Blockbuster. And if you find this game now, there are a lot of people that are selling like fakes online. Uh, but the real ones, right, I'm looking at some right now. Like if you find this... Uh, you know, this is an N64 game. Uh, at, at the bottom, like $500, you find uh, this uh, Clay Sculptor games. I've never found it myself. Uh, it actually, it's called Clay, Clay Fighter Sculptor's Cut. Uh, I've never found it myself, but, you know, it'd be nice to find one day. Well, recently, I don't know why somebody came up with this idea, but, you know, this is something that a true reseller, uh, somebody decided to list the receipt from one of the chains uh, that was bought from and put it on auction on eBay. So this is just somebody I'm looking at the receipt. This is on uh, from Complex, uh, the the site, and it's uh, it was something that was bought in Scarborough, New York. I'm trying to see if I can see the date on this receipt, which is kind of fascinating because, you know, receipts don't last that long, right? If you're not careful with them, like the ink goes away, it gets faded. So this was bought back in March of 1999. But the receipt was still good. So listed on eBay and ended up selling the receipt uh, for $750. And I'm like, wow, like this is this is eBay. This is and plus they charge shipping. Okay. And so now I see another one listed on eBay. So I'm guessing now it's no longer gonna be a, a bolo, or maybe it will be a bolo. But this is something to remember in, in, in reselling when you're doing collectibles, and that some people want like the whole picture. Right. So you may have just a box, right? I've talked about boxes, right? I sold over 2K in Game Boy Advance boxes back in August and they were almost thrown away. Some people want just the manuals because they have the box, they have the game, but they don't have the manual. Some people want the box, the manual, the game, and the receipt (laughs) that's tied to the item. And so the lesson to me was, you know, whenever you have a big haul of, 
vintage items and nostalgic items, I'm not saying research everything, but you should research a lot of items, especially if it's tied to something that is pretty popular or something rare that people are looking for. You know, if, uh, for example, right now, I, I am sure there's other people that do, but I'm one of the few people in the world that owns a Nintendo World Champ shirt from the Nintendo World Championships in the early 90s. And I can't sell it on eBay, and I'm pretty sure it's because, you know, no one's really wanting it. But let's say somebody came across, you know, they, they have the game, uh, they were at the event, you know, they have like the lanyard, and they're like, oh, if only I could find that shirt, that person would buy the shirt. You know what I mean? So don't discard stuff, it, you know, especially if it's tied into something that's trendy, something that is is at the moment something that people treasure. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah. I just I thought it was a pretty it, cool story. It's hard to it's hard to know though. Like if you hung on to everything, you would just be a hoarder. And that's true. That is true. I, I can't true. tell you how many times it's the things I throw away that I'm like, man, I should have kept that. So it's like you just you <laughs> yeah, never know. Yeah. You, you you can't really win. I mean you get sometimes you get lucky. Sometimes you could, you know, if you've done it long enough, you kinda have an idea of of where things might go, but it's still all just still all just uh wishing for the best. That is true. That's true. Now, but I don't know, would you have kept the receipt? Let's say you found the receipt from, I don't know, 1987 where somebody bought like a, I don't know if 1987, let's say 1989 and it was for Super Mario Brothers that they bought at KB. Would you have kept that receipt? You're saying if I found it? Yeah. Like, like so I'm, let's say, here's, here's the thing is like if I'm going through, let's say I, I'm going through something and I open up, there's a case with that game and I open it and it's just got the receipt in it. I might be willing to say like, Hey, it's just the receipt. Maybe there's something in there, but I mean, I don't know how else I'd find something like that. I mean, I know I wouldn't, I don't, I mean, I keep some receipts for things that I may need to return, but so I, I wouldn't have kept it myself personally if had I bought it. And then if I'm just looking through boxes, I'm not looking at receipts for sure because uh, there's a 99.99999% chance of whatever paperwork is in these boxes is just garbage. Yeah, yeah no, that's true. That's true. I, but I have come across items where I've sold a receipt with it because the receipt, you know, I don't know. Some people like nostalgic items and it sells better if you have the receipt. So, hmm. and, you know, if, if you're looking into collectibles, don't toss the receipt. Sometimes it helps to have the receipt combined with your item when you list it. So, yeah, I mean, for sure, if I already had a, if I already had a collectible, I think I'd, I'd throw anything that came with it unless it was just junk. But yeah, some receipts, like if there were stickers that came with like, anything that came with the item, I would for sure either add in that listing or check to see if they would do well on their own yeah yeah all right hey so i was thinking about this you know we've and now we're getting to uh i, I don't know how much people are gonna enjoy the appreciate this part of the podcast so what, what is if you if you think california right now mike uh what are some things that come to mind that's happening in california Oh, I'm not answering that. <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you trying to do, Orlando? <laughs> All right. Well, theft. Theft is huge in California, right? Like these flash mobs that come in, they rob entire, you know, entire storefronts. Uh, and, and what do they do with that inventory? Right now, I used to be a loss prevention guy, and, and we were allowed to back in the day slam people, handcuff them, detain them until the police showed up, all that stuff. That doesn't happen anymore in California. Uh, and, and sometimes I, I just want to, I would love to test the waters, but I'm never going to test it because that's not what I do. But, uh, you know, it's a big problem. And I'm beginning to think it's a major problem that is affecting reselling. And we talked about this 
a few months ago that it may affect reselling. I'm not at the place that I think it is affecting reselling. So I uh, give a story quick years ago. Um, we stopped a, a theft ring at target and this theft ring had sold uh, close to one to 2 million in stolen merchandise. And this was in the late nineties and it was, and they sold it. How did they sell it? Well, they sold it via eBay. They sold it via going to the swap meet. And right now on Amazon, I've been sourcing some stuff for retail arbitrage for Q4 and people are selling at a loss. And these aren't items that you can wholesale. These are items that you have to go to like a particular store. You have to maybe have a membership. And, and I'm saying there is no way this person legitimately paid for this. Like, let's say the item costs $40. They're selling it for $40. So you take out the Amazon fees. You take out the shipping. You, you, you're losing money. You're just losing money. These items have to be stolen. And so, you know, I, I went and I found this uh, article from uh, Seeking Alpha. If you don't know what Seeking Alpha is, it's kind of like the like the older crowd, kind of like Motley Fool or economic kind of paper that people read. Um, and, they, you know, this article is written. It says Amazon has a fencing problem. So basically, the summary of the article was fencing via online platforms like Amazon is a growing societal problem that will eventually become an issue for Amazon itself. Shrinkage or retail theft is a massive problem that is impacting the profit margins of companies and hurting everyday consumers. Uh, the public is increasingly pushing for government action to address organized theft and online platforms like Amazon are being targeted. Uh, and so it was interesting because they had discussed how obviously, you know, stores in certain parts of the country are just shutting down. Walmart's like, we're not going to be here anymore. My hometown that I grew up in, like certain parts are like ghost towns now. There, there's no, there's no CVS, there's no Walgreens, none of those stores are around. And so I began to think about this, and I go, "Wow, this is another obstacle to retail arbitrage right now." And this is something you need to, you need to be aware. I, I'm at a place right now that I may just, I'm not gonna end retail arbitrage, but. It, it's very brutal because you can't compete. The only way I could compete is if I end up having a pure hustle theft ring. And that's the only way I, I would be successful, right? That'd be, that'd be a pretty cool name to be on the news. Like the pure hustle theft ring was spotted at. Anyways. And so I want people to be aware. This is why I think eBay collectibles, vintage stuff uh, is the safer route. The competition is less. It's harder items to get to. And you're not dealing with as a component that you can't, unless you get into crime, you can't really compete. And I do think this is creating a problem for all of us because for example, the inform act uh, that was passed a few months ago, that was to combat counterfeit goods, right? eBay is doing their authenticity guarantee and all that stuff. Like this is all a result of that. And so I want, I want, I want, you know, resellers to, to realize a lot of things here. Uh, number one, if you get into, if you get into retail arbitrage, this is something you also have to think about now, not just being gated, not just the fees. You got to think not just, Hey, what if Amazon gets in the listing? What if somebody gets on the listing and they stolen a hundred of these items? Like you're going to have to wait till all those sell through. So be aware of that. Be aware of that. The other thing is, you know, um, Always, always make informed decisions that, you know, are going to cause you to make wise calls when you go to the voting booth for legislation uh, that will end up helping your business. Right. Because right now, the situation we have in California, like it, it's hurting. It's hurting 
small businesses. It's hurting individuals that, you know, used to be able to source. Like, let's say you have a Target in your region or a Walmart in your region, and they've decided to shut down because theft is too big. Then that's one less place to source. And so it's interesting because if you listen to our earlier podcast, which many of you have, how this has developed into being a major issue. And it's a major problem in California. So thought I'd bring that up. Now, do you want to move to a less... Uh, I, I don't know. This is reality. We got to keep it real, okay? Um, wh- when do you think people are buying stuff for shopping, Mike? Right now for Buying Q4. stuff for shopping? No, sorry. <laughs> shopping to buy stuff for Q4. Um, I mean, I, I think it's already started. I think it's going to be early. I, at least... I feel that way in the sense of places are doing sales earlier. I even think like the timing of the Amazon day, all of that. Uh, we've got, we've got uh black Friday is coming up, but so many stores are trying to push for how do we, how do we, how do we make more before black Friday? Black Friday is already so competitive. So uh, you're already seeing the sales popping up and people have a hard time avoiding sales. I mean, even, even, I'm that way in a sense. If I'm walking through Target because we got to grab a couple things for for home, and we see, oh look, they're doing you pay pay a hundred dollars in toys, get twenty five dollars off. Like we might as well grab the boys. We we're gonna get these two things for the boys for Christmas. We might as well pick them up now because mm-hmm. we're gonna get twenty five dollars off if we do it today. And so I think people start spending early. Now there's the plus and the 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 negative to that. I think places think, well, if we start earlier, people will spend more. And I think there's some truth to that. But I know for us, for instance, we start relatively early, especially when we see deals like this. But what ends up happening is come the beginning of December, we're done. We're done usually even well before that. So we're just not spending anymore. And so we see good deals come up again. And we're like, oh, that's a good deal. But we've already got gifts for everybody. There's nobody else left to get gifts for. And so I kind of think in some some ways businesses might just be, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul. They're just moving the 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 sales to a few months mm. earlier, a few weeks earlier. And it's like, look, look how many sales we've got in October. And normally we don't get these kinds of sales until November. But I don't think people are going to be spending double during the Q4 time that they just because you started it a little bit earlier, I think they're going to spend maybe a little bit more. I think because again, once people start spending, they keep spending for a while. But I just don't know. It is definitely starting earlier. That's for sure. Yeah. So at least that's my feel. No, but there is data out there that supports that now. So uh, this comes from Bankrate. Bankrate did a survey. And according to the survey, there's uh, no time like the present to begin preparing for the winter holidays. One in two holiday shoppers plan to begin or have already begun making purchases before Halloween, according to the survey. Some holiday shoppers aren't deterred by sweltering heat when they look for gifts. 12% have a plan to start shopping before the end of August. We already know that. While 12% in September, another 26% plan to begin shopping in October. Uh, and like you said, here it says Black Friday is traditionally the start of the holiday shopping season. 37% of holiday shoppers still plan to begin their holiday shopping in November, while 13% plan to squeeze in shopping in December. So I this is a trend that we've been seeing the last few years. I know last year I had said, wow, I had so many more sales in October than I did in November and December. And I think that's going to be true again. And right now, as we're speaking, it's Prime Day right on, on amazon and obviously amazon is pushing that so so be aware of that and the other item too is you know right now credit cards are at an all-time high i think we've reached a trillion dollars in debt and so you know people don't know where they're going to be by the time of december and so they're probably buying stuff now going hey we have the money now 
we might as well spend it now to make sure that we have something. Uh, it said uh, 53% of holiday shoppers plan to pay for at least some of their holiday purchases with a credit card. 64% of the shoppers say they will pay the bill in full before in- interest accrues. Uh, this was interesting. Uh, Americans are thinking of inflation less when holiday shopping this year. 33% of holiday shoppers say inflation will change the way you shop in 2023 compared to 40% in 2022. So that I see that as a good thing. That may mean that we have a better Q4 than we did uh, last year. This was interesting too. I know I'm reading all the stats. So if you want to leave a review about all my stats, let me know. Okay. Uh, 39% of holiday shoppers plan to do most of their shopping online, while 23% do most of their shopping in person. And so to me, that that's a big deal. I've mentioned this before. Uh, you know, right now, uh, gas prices here in California uh, began to skyrocket recently. And then uh, I don't know what happened, but it dropped like 26 cents in three days. Uh, I haven't been up on my news. Maybe maybe the, you know, the governor did something. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but we were, we were hitting uh, $7 and it stopped. But I do think, you know, due to macroeconomics that are happening right now in the world, Okay, which we're not a new show, so I'm not getting into all of it. But there's obviously things happening right now that will affect the price of oil, which will affect the price of gas. And so people will be less likely to go out to stores and they'll be more likely to go, hey, you know what? I would save a bunch of time. I'm going to save on gas. I'd rather buy something via eBay or Amazon than have to spend all that time looking where I can just use my computer or my phone to find things. So just be aware of that. Any, any thoughts on all that, Mike? No, sounds good. All right. So, yeah, so that's pretty much it for our uh, reseller topics. Hey, before we get into our next favorite section, Mike, did you see that comment where somebody said, where do you guys get the smooth domes? It was, mm, it was, I one, didn't. Of our, it was one of our YouTube. I didn't, but I'm glad somebody recognized. I don't know if uh, if I've somebody might have seen on the show. I kind yeah, of yeah, you can't my head see pretty right good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, I, I slammed it pretty hard. Uh, and when you're bald, that really hurts because... Then you got a, a mark on your head, and and when you've got a great dome like ours, I mean, let's be real, not everybody does, but we've got great domes, and we want to show them off, which is why we use Skull Shaver. Skull Shaver is our go-to tool for making sure that our head looks great all the time, quick, easy, convenient, uh, durable, all the things you're looking for, high quality. It's, it, I mean, how long have we been sponsored by Skull Shaver now? And I'm using the same unit. I mean, of course, you replace heads here and there, to, yep. you know, because you want new blades. But the unit is still going strong. The battery lasts great. Everything about it works good. Uh, so if you're blessed like we are with a great bald head, don't let people, you know, put you down for not having hair. Show it off. Make sure you've got nice, clean uh, dome all the time. And any other hair removal you need, uh, Skull Shaver actually sells all kinds of uh, products for hair removal of all kinds. So check them out um, and use our promo code or a link below. Um, what is it? Is, is it hustle? Hustle right, with the capital H. There we go. So make sure you use that. Uh, and and again, it, it's a perfect time for the holidays right now, right? For you to be able to go, hey, you know what? Here's an opportunity for me to change somebody's life with the school shaver. So t- So take advantage of that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, make, make it happen. So yeah, code hustle, capital H use the link below for a discount. All right. Let's talk about some things that people should be on the lookout for. What's your bolo? So my bolo What's is kind bolo? of a, yeah. So my bolo is kind of a easy, 
one we've kind of talked about before, but I, I want to kind of spread it out a little bit. So we've talked about Doc Martens just being, you know, good boots. People buy them. They do well. But have you noticed, Orlando, and maybe we've talked about this too, um, when it comes to Halloween time, I feel like Doc Martens fly off the shelf. Really? Especially if you've got cheaper ones that are beat up like mm. if they're i don't know if it's because people use them for for costumes but i always feel like in october it's my maybe i should have some maybe i need to uh to tear peek it but i feel like i feel like for sure doc martens every year i tend to sell a handful during october and i, I the only thing i can think especially because some of them have so beat is that people use them for halloween costumes they just want cool looking like boots uh, for whatever it is they're doing, Michael Myers or something. I'm not sure <laughs> who would wear Doc Martens. But uh, yeah, so that just makes me think in general, Halloween costume stuff, anything kind of unique. I don't even label these Halloween, but if you've got certain things like that, you, you might end up doing well. Don't forget, we're we're just about out of the spooky season time. But the, the Q4 is so great because we've got multiple holidays back to back to back to back. And so be looking for those things that are moving during Thanksgiving. Be looking for those things that are going to be moving during Christmas. Um, and and you're going to do all right. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. And, and docs are always a great pickup. Uh, and I would say the the more uh, eyelets for the laces, the more money you'll make on that pair of Doc Martens. So there you go. That's a good rule of thumb. <laughs> there you go. So the, the what I wanted to bring up was, uh, speaking of along Halloween, anything that says Gemi. So Gemi is G-E-M-M-Y. They sell a lot of decoration stuff. So like inflatables. I just recently picked up a Haunted Mansion, like a plaque that people can put over their door uh, that plays like the Haunted Mansion music from Disney. Uh, and, you know, you can find all kinds of, of figures for decorations. Uh, Gemi is pretty much a good, good pickup. Uh, the reason being is that a lot of the items are discontinued uh, and they make some cool products. So if you see something in the back that says Gemi, uh, make sure to look it up. And again, it would be some kind of Christmas decoration, Halloween decoration. Uh, they're usually a good pickup. And even if it's something you're like, oh, I don't know, like it's not inflatable. It's kind of this weird item here. Like you just never know. I've sold some Gemi items that weren't like really popular, but there was something that someone really wanted and it sold for good money. So keep an eye out for Gemi. That's the G. All right. So what, what are you looking forward to here, Mike? Um, I am looking forward to getting out and doing garage sales again, um, and potentially making that deal that I've already made. I, I, I did not have my business card, um, mm. which I normally use business card with like my business number and all of that. Didn't have them with me. I, I just gave this guy my personal number. It was that good of a potential, like, uh, a deal. So it wasn't my business number. It was my personal number, which worked out. Um, and, uh, but that being said, hopefully that deal works out for more and, Hopefully, I'll be able to uh, hit up some more garage sales here pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. No. What I, about you? I so I need. I want to get Amazon off the ground. Uh, I feel like I missed out last Q4, uh, and right now, I, I am realizing that Amazon is not any easier than it ever has been. It's actually more difficult, even for somebody like me who has been grandfathered into ungating in pretty much every category. Uh, I'm, you know, it, it's tough, but the biggest moneymaker during Q4 is whenever I've done Amazon. Uh, eBay sales are good. eBay does does well and, and sales do go up. But in order to make, you know, some serious cash in Q4, I've only been able to do it through Amazon. And so I'm, I'm trying to just 
Go find those right items. I'm trying to do that retail arbitrage. It's been brutal. So I'm looking forward to that if I can find the right items. But right now, right now is the time to start selling some of that stuff. And then, yeah, I'm looking forward to garage sales. You know, it, it's it's been a lot of fun. It, it's been uh, super profitable this year. Um, it, it's always interesting when, when I look at like how much each haul I've had made, you know, like I've had some hauls I've made several thousand dollars. I made, I have had some that I only spent like 40 bucks and I made several hundred dollars. Like there is no better ROI. And so community garage sales are coming back for at least another month or two here in uh, California and San Diego. And so I'm looking forward to getting out there and, and that's pretty much it. So, uh, hopefully this episode, uh, you know, were places, there were places that many of you resonated. There's some of you that, you know, are like, Orlando, you're dead wrong. Or some of you are like, you know, um, I'm team Mike on this one and, and that's all good. Let us know in the comments. I I'm always open to feedback because I'm always open to being wrong. Cause that's a, the only way I can be right. And so with that being said, make sure to be real and be relevant and be reselling. Leads. Peace.